Hey there, it's Margaret coming to you today with a conversation with Amy Miracle, creator of the Mindful Art Studio. Amy describes her creative practice as layered, nature-based, and detailed. She is inspired by the connections between nature and art and loves patterns, paint, paper cutting, and putting it all together in art journals. Her training as an art therapist taught her the importance of focusing on process over product and how to use mindfulness to tune into the moment through art. She has learned how to weave these techniques together to help her and her students have a rich and playful art practice that is both satisfying and full of imperfect beauty. As you listen, see if you can give yourself permission to let nature ground you in feature art practice. What are you going to do today or this week to pause and look deeply at nature? It could be in the big woods or a plant on your desk. Any bit of nature will do. Amy believes that art is the natural creative expression that is the birthright of each of us. It's not for the privileged or the special or the anointed. And I just want to say during our conversation, Amy showed me some of her work, and I'm so sorry you can't follow along and see what I did, but there is a way. Look at her Facebook page at Mindful Art Studio and go follow her Instagram account and you'll see the work for yourself. All right, let's hear from Amy. Hi, Amy. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure. So there's no way I can cover everything I want to talk about today. And I don't have to. I'm going to give you some homework to go and listen to some conversations. You're going to get a really comprehensive look at all the work Amy does. She's been on the Get Messy podcast, and you'll hear her talk really a lot about mindfulness and its relationship to creativity. I also heard the conversation you had with Suzanne Redmond on the Left Brain Mm -hmm. Artist, and you Mm -hmm. talked a lot about coaching in your business and your classes. Mm -hmm. And I loved your conversation with Nick on the creative soulpreneur. Mm-hmm. That was really great. That really resonated with me. And your website is just chock full of resources and photos of your art. So everyone go check that out. So I just want to start by asking you to give a little elevator pitch on the Mindful Art Studio and your creative work. Sure. Um, I'm I'm happy to do that because I feel like it's something that it just has applications for so many people. I think my head is swimming a little bit because the meeting I was in before I was, you know, talking a lot about the way that mindfulness, because I use it so much in my art, then spills out into other parts of my life. Some of which it's like very natural and it just happens and others of which I have to think about more, (laughs) but, um, So I I come to this work as an art therapist. I'm not doing therapy anymore. And and just to be clear, art therapy would just be when you have mental health goals that you're working with and there's a treatment plan and all of that. The work that I do is all very informed by my training. So I did a lot of training in trauma work and that's where I got so much... um, training in mindfulness and sensory based work, which was such a gift because it helped me to really tune into and understand the way that kind of tuning into the body is such a wonderful way of arriving in the moment. And art is this tremendous opportunity to arrive into the moment because it's just chock full of sensory cues between the visuals and, you know, even just like I do a slow drawing thing every week 
the, you know, holding the pen, feeling the page, noticing the way that the watercolor seeps into the paper. You know, all of these things are ways to arrive truly in the moment. And when we do that, it's amazing how much space it opens up for enjoying the process and opening up to our own imagination. And of course, the the whole um, funny thing that happens is that the more you focus on the process, the more your product improves. <laughs> uh-huh. right? And the more you get into the richness of your own work and judge yourself less and do better work and have more fun. And it's this wonderful, positive feedback loop. That's wonderful. Yes. Can we talk a little bit about obsessions? I usually get into this a little bit later, but I feel like maybe we should start with this with you. Are you saying I'm particularly obsessive, Margaret? No, not at all. I feel like there is this thing that underlines everything that you do, something that you can't stop thinking about, talking about, that permeates all of the creative work that you do. Maybe it's mindfulness, maybe it's something else, but let's get that out in the open early on in this conversation. How about that? Yeah, I mean... It's interesting because I've been obsessed with nature and patterns and natural patterns and the way that they are so ubiquitous in nature. Like you can find the same pattern in, like, I don't have this thought out per se, but like, you know, the way that cells organize could be the exact same way that you see Um, I don't know something about the way that like I'm looking at something I caught with like a leaf pattern and the way that like the little bits fall away from where the the veins are or like branching, for example, there's an organized thing, right? So like the roots and all the branches, same process, the way that the ice um, cracks, branching, the way that lightning happens, branching, like there's all these different you know, spirals, there's all these things that are just ubiquitous throughout nature, and you see them over and over and over again. And I think that's absolutely fascinating. And so I love exploring uh, those patterns through my art, whether it's in paper cutting or slow drawing patterns or, um, you know, in paintings or drawings or whatever it might be. It's not the only thing I do, for sure. But um, there's a real interest in in those natural elements that runs throughout. I wouldn't say it's the only thing in my art because it's not. But uh, the natural world has always really fascinated me and been a place where I just naturally am very absorbed and and have that kind of not always, but can have that experience of just being very much absorbed into the moment and feeling a part of the whole and all those things that you hope you feel sometimes. Oh yeah, you are you are speaking to the choir on that one. Right. I, I've, I know I've... your guests are amazing. That's why I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I just I love being out in nature. Just the act of being more mindful and when I go out and I take walks, really this past year I've paid a lot of attention to bark on the trees, to patterns in the snow, to, and I've really done this very sort of close noticing. And I've been fascinated with all of the patterns in nature's as well. And I'm not doing anything with them except taking some photos for my own enjoyment and noticing them. And that hang on, feels... hang on, hang on. Can I pause you right yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the accept out of that sentence. 
take the, I'm not doing anything except, and just say, I am taking photos of them, oh, right? This God, is, you're so good. This is, this is where the process is. You're right there. This is, this, your, your percolation has already begun. I am taking photos for my own appreciation yeah. And it's enough. I've realized that it's enough that I yeah. don't have to do the next thing. And it really was irritating to me for many months because I was mm. like, okay, I'm noticing this. What am I going to do? What am I going to do next? Right. It was all about what am mm. I going to do next? We're not supposed to be talking about me. We're supposed to be talking about you. <laughs> I don't like it when it's only on me. It's awkward. <laughs> oh, see, it doesn't supposed to be about me. <laughs> so out in nature, I've started taking these bark pictures, right? And now, every time I walk anywhere near a tree, I just stop and I look and my whole self becomes very calm, right? Mm -hmm. It's just another, it, it's like a very quick 30 second mindfulness meditation practice that I'm doing. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I guess I'm wondering how you have used nature and art in this last year, if anything has changed or how you've stayed connected to the environment around you and how you express it in your art. You talked a little bit about that, but. So, I mean, it's really funny what you're saying. I, I Do you know what I've been focused on over the last year? You must not, I guess, if you're asking me this question. So uh, well, other people don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So since, so last fall, right. So last fall, it's election season here in the United States. We are, you know, nine, 10, 11 months into, well, actually, no, not that long, but like six months into the pandemic or whatever it would have been at that point. Uh, and I was doing my, in the fall, I always do kind of my end of year evaluations for my work and reviewing what's gone well, what I've enjoyed, what I'd like to do differently the next year, all of that. And I'm not much of a vision board person or hadn't been much of a vision board person, but, um, and I also don't like digital art, sorry <laughs> to anybody out there, but it's just not my thing so far. But for some reason I started, someone suggested from a business perspective doing these um, vision boards. And so now I always do them. For some reason I started doing it on my computer with like my cheapy version of Photoshop. And just that act of like taking the photos and putting into what I wanna visually see in the next year and then having to size them correctly. Like I, I make the size based on how much of my work life I want it to uh, fill up. And that practice, and then just a few words here and there, it's very sparse. <clears throat> it really helps me define and focus what I want and what I need. And when I did this, this last fall, I realized that the phrase that came to me was grounded in nature. Right. So I knew that everything that I needed to do needed to be even more grounded in nature. Like a lot of my work has been for years, but it needed this real focus. And I had started doing more walks in the woods as part of my workday. And for a type A person, it took a little, you know, I'm not type A in everything, but I'm type A in some aspects of my life. And like that took a real shift, like Amy, you need to do this in order to do the work that you're doing and do it well and show up for people. Ah, okay. I understand that. And so I started doing walks, even if it's just like to the little thing that's near me where there's walking paths, you can hear the highway roaring. It's literally right next to the highway. 
but I can also hear birds. I can also hear the stream. I see nature all around me. There are trees and I have been walking those paths every week, just about every week. And usually, you know, between it depends one and three times a week. And then usually in the weekends, we do something outdoors as well, like hiking or whatever. Those times, even if it's 10 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes, it rejuvenates me so much and it feeds me so much. And it's that process that you're talking about of allowing myself time to really indulge those curiosities that has completely fed my art process over these months and has completely fed all of my ideas for classes and retreats, online retreats that I've been offering. So it led to this whole class called Winter Spells, which was all about what offering up for people what I had been doing, which was wandering with wonder in the in whatever environment you're in, whatever natural spaces you can find um, to your ability and uh, really getting close and looking deeply and indulging those curiosities and writing about what you see and drawing what you see and taking photos of what you see, which is why I was so keen to make sure you noticed what you were doing. And, and then for me, it led to a whole series of creative actions, one of which was making this uh, winter spells book, which is full of everything from the photos to some writing about my experiences to uh, like these techniques with tracing paper. And I also, for the first time, learned to do a Coptic binding, a sewn, hand-sewn journal. It's very sturdy. Yeah. And so it led to that, which then that filled up. And then I offered a second date and then people wanted more. So then I made spring spells and people wanted more than that. And so then I made the nature spells book, which is creating that book. And it's, it's really from following that thing that happened to hit on something that connected with other people has really driven my entire, you know, artistic direction and also my, my income, which obviously is part of what you have to make while you're doing all this wonderful art. <laughs> Do you think that people's creative practices have changed in the last year because we've all been in lockdown and haven't been able to connect in normal ways that artists connect and that people have had space and time in their lives to turn to nature? My students, the ones who speak to me that come to my live online retreats and speak to me about why they're there, it's because they, they've been feeling the exact same calling that I've been feeling, that getting out into the woods or into the desert or near the ocean or whatever helps them get grounded and present in this time when everything is so isolating and crazy and disconnected that they are very grounded in the earth and connected to the earth, which then feeds the art practice. And importantly, they can come together with a group of people live and connect together, share their art and have that community. Talk just a little bit about your live retreats, because I think this is wonderful that you're doing this. I mean, they're virtual, but also live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So I luckily had been doing this before the pandemic. I've been doing these for a few years. So for me, there was no transition thing. I think a lot of artists started offering them um, to meet the need and, and because they couldn't do lives anymore. Whereas I had done a few live things, but mostly I was involved in doing these live online retreats. I work to make the live online retreats as much like an in-person retreat as I possibly can. So it's limited um, for the retreat. It's either a five-hour experience together on Zoom or it's two afternoons split up in, in halves. And I limit it to like 15, 16 people so that there's an opportunity for creating a trust amongst group members. And because really what it's about is, and I make things very clear, when there are very clear boundaries, people know what to expect. They can show up and be more vulnerable about their art and their art process. And so I prep people as clearly as I possibly can. I try to get all the tech stuff out of the way, try to let them know what's going to happen, what we're on about, what we're not on about, and make lots and lots of space for different types of expressions of the experience. So like with all of the spells retreats, some people are going to keep their process in the wandering and they'll be all about the wandering and they're taking in, they're still in that cocooning phase while other people are going to be more on about drawing or more on about, you know, making their books or whatever it is. I try to make as much space as possible so that I'm facilitating each individual person's creative process and creating a space where everybody shows up to support each other in that. And that's a really important, unique thing. I think we're not criticizing each other. We're not trying to improve it. Um, if people want my input about, oh, this technique or that technique, I will certainly give it, but it's not, it's not coming from a place of critique. It's coming from a place of support and seeing each other. Yeah, you're providing a vessel and a container and a place for people to feel yeah. safe. In a in a typical class, you know, you would show up and then there would be like critique and the teacher would say, well, you know, what you did here looks great. I think you could improve it if you tried this. And I do, in essence, at times say something like that, but I come to it with that art therapist perspective where my main, 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 main job is to be supportive. And then if I see that there's strength in the inner artist that's ready enough and they're expressing that they want to take that next step, I might, I, I approach it just much more gently. Like, are you looking for a next step? And then I will offer, you know, you might think about it like this, but only if that feels right to you. Cause also I have my biases, right? And I don't want to put that on people. So I try to always qualify. <laughs> this might be colored by my own <laughs> like vision. You know what I mean? Is there something inside of you that's waiting to come out? I, it's a, such a wonderful question. My first instinct is I'm definitely going to be thinking about this question more. I can tell you that much because it's such a great question. But my first instinct is that I... I will think about it more, but I think my first instinct that I want to say, I think, I, I think I'm living it. You know what I mean? I think that at the moment I have the very blissful experience of having borne out this idea and then I get to present it. And luckily it connected with something and others. And 
that's kind of been my experience with a bunch of the, not every, but many of the artistic ideas that I've had. And as you say, there's that kind of thread running through. Mm -hmm. Maybe another way to ask this too is, is there something that's going around in your brain, in your head, that's provoking the next workshop, class, creative piece, creative series? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I'm in that part of the rhythm, the cycle where I'm, so I'm reaching the tail end of what I'm teaching with this process of the spells, I think, but I'm still in it myself to a degree, but I, I feel like I'm reaching the end of that cycle. And then there'll be a period of creating, 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 creating. And then the next idea comes, I decide whether or not that's something I'm teaching or it's just for me or where we're headed next. I heard you talk about how you're, you describe yourself as a person who's really good at combining different things hmm. and that you give us permission to not have to do just one thing, but that you do have to stay long enough to master it before mm -hmm. moving on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. So that means you're not flitting about. I think those right. were, were your words, but diving in, getting some breadth before moving on. Can you expand on this or maybe talk about something that was difficult for you to master before you moved on? Yes. <laughs> it's very fresh. <laughs> um, so with the Coptic bound books, and actually let me just grab it because it'll make it funner. More funner. Uh, so like this is that initial winter spells book that I was mentioning to you. That's gorgeous. Thank you. Wow. It's really fun. Oh. And I have lots of little bits of bark and things, and it's combined with my slow drawing and tracing paper layers. So this is the Nature Spells book retreat, which is filled, but I'm going to offer um, a pre-recorded version. Oh, I want to do this. It's, see, you would get into it, I think. Oh, uh, totally. Yes. And you have all the photos ready. Like, here's cracked ice. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That was really fun. A little branch. Yeah, yeah, I've got a little branch on there. And then I have a photo of this leaf. And then here's the leaf and a little pocket. So anyway, so it, you get the idea. And then there's just, oh, well, I'll show you. There's, there's a lot about layering in these tracing paper layers. And so things change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm through layers, which I find that's, that's another thread that runs through is things that change. Now I feel like I want to get one more thing that I can show you. Like I love installation and I like art pieces that change as the viewer interacts with them. So, you know, like with books, that's a beautiful opportunity for that. So like the image keeps changing as you turn the pages, you know, or you can rearrange the way that it's viewed. Right. And so I think that sort of thing is super fun. And so I've done that with the high flow pieces. Um, that's from a class called Fluid Art. I use the Fluid Art paints, but we're not like pouring them all over a canvas, kind of just use little bits. That's the sketchbook project, isn't it? Yes. Um, this I one I kept know. for myself because I liked it too much. And I gave my other paper cut one away. But like the paper cut pages with the paper cut journals, it changes every time you turn the page and like keeps building images upon themselves. And I find that process really 
fascinating. It's a little hard to see with the white on white here, but I love that process. And so that's like a, a real thread that runs through a lot of my work too. Like how do you build a piece that's like layers? That's another, that's an, that's a thread is like really basic as layers. And then how do you have a piece that changes as you move through it or interact with it? Okay. But anyway, we were really talking about something that was challenging. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It was a good diversion. Yes. So uh, when I first started to uh, try to bind the Coptic books, right, that's what the binding looks like. Uh, I found some really, I think, good, quite good tutorials online. But for whatever reason, just the way my brain works or whatever, there were just certain details that didn't get spelled out that then kept tripping me up or it wasn't clear to me what was intended and I wanted it to be right. Their, their work. And so I didn't want to put the work in and have it be close, but not quite. And it wasn't, it was, it, I, I guess it's a little bit of perfectionism, but I also feel like if you're going to put in enough time to cut chipboard and then get nice paper and cover the papers and then do measurements, which I hate, I hate measurements, <laughs> but I will do them for something like this because it's very, it's a beautiful process. Like it's very tactile. It's very slow and meditative and repetitive, especially once you understand what all the specifics are of how to do it correctly. And then once, once I understood that, then it was so easy to then just settle into the rhythm of doing it. But like, because I don't, it's funny, like, I don't really like exactitudes in measurement in things where it's like numbers, like I, I'm not a numbers person, I don't like numbers. They're just not my thing. I can speak a few different languages, I, you know, give me a task that's really hard, like, I'll take it on <laughs> like with numbers. No, don't do it. So anyway, so um, but once I got it, I was like, oh, okay, now I get this. But, you know, it took really um, fighting. I don't know. I don't know if I want to say fighting with it, but like pushing through and doing and undoing. And then I finally found a tutorial that just kind of slowed everything down and made it much more simple. And And it was great because as a teacher, I was able to see like, okay, when I teach it, you know, at that point I was thinking if I decided to teach it, <laughs> but then I ended up doing a lot of it and loved it. But I was thinking when I teach it, if I teach it, I'm going to do it like this, like this, like this. And I'm spelling out all these different pieces because as a teacher, I want to predict the questions I'm going to get because we're not in the classroom together, right? In a video, pre-recorded video type thing, you know, I want to predict those questions and the common pitfalls and I want to try to address them before my students have them so that they keep their frustration low and their success rate high. What is something that might help someone move past that point of wondering if they should keep going or not? Because there's a lot of second guessing, right? I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm never going to be really good at this. I'm just going to give up and move on. Or maybe it's just a personality trait. I find myself doing lots of things. And as soon as I understand the process and I work with it for a while, then I move on to something else. Mm. Like, 
so I feel like a lot of people have trouble listening to their own inner selves, right? And maybe just being quiet and listening or writing about it. But is there something that you think would help other people tune into that part of themselves to figure out if they should move on or? Mm -hmm. Well, it's an interesting question. I, I, I like this question. I've been thinking about it a good bit lately because obviously I get it from students at times too. Um, And I am someone who is capable of flitting myself. Like I get it from that perspective, but I think that there's a difference between, and and you have to define this kind of, like you said, with the introspection, you have to define this for yourself. I think there's a difference between flitting from one thing to another and being someone who thrives on variety, right? And so I am someone who needs to cycle through now partially the way that I cycle through as an artist these days is dictated by the way I set up my business, right? Like, so I very fortunately get to do that process. I told you where I basically decide what I'm working on because it interests me. And then I decide if I'm teaching it and then I teach it. And then thankfully so far, for the most part, people get into it. (laughs) Like most classes do, you know, have been doing quite well. Um, and then, but, but then I have to move on sometimes before I'm ready. So that's the trade-off, right? Like I could stay in that process longer. I could dig deeper, but it's hard to, for me to switch gears. Like it's hard for me to be in a, you know, doing portraits, uh, you know, with like blind contour, which is one of the things I do while I'm also, you know, doing some of this nature spells book process, I kind of am in typically one gear or the other. Sometimes there's a little bit of crossover and I will kind of periodically give myself a sabbatical so that I don't go cuckoo. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But frequently out of that time comes the ideas for the next class. So for me, it works out. There's sort of a balance. But when I said that it was about cycling, you put your finger up. So I was curious what was happening there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do the same thing. And I think I've, I've done enough inner work to know how to recognize it in myself and that I'm okay with it. And it just occurred to me that a lot of that inner critic piece that I had trouble with for so many years was externally focused on what other people would think Mm. if I Mm -hmm. didn't keep going, because you're an artist, this is what you do. You, you create mosaic fish. And now people know you from that. Right. And so if you quit and you do something else, are you not committing? Are you not invested? But really all of that, what I've decided for myself is that all of that is externally focused. And if I care what every single person thinks about me, I'm in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm. So I need to be okay with what I'm doing first, which is hard sometimes without you know, I mean, that, that fear just sometimes spirals out of control and to bring it back. I mean, one of the things I do is, you know, I engage in a mindfulness practice and I sit Mm -hmm. and I listen and my body tells me when I'm doing something that's not right. My body reacts physically. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to chime in on that externally focused, what other people think Mm -hmm. issue, but well, it's so common, right? I mean, yeah. 
so many people experience that. And I think we all experience that at times. I was thinking to myself as I was listening to you, I think the reason I, and this could cycle back for me too, but at the moment for a while, I think the reason I don't experience that is maybe because I did start to recognize that through line or those several through lines through my work that somehow feels foundational and reassuring. Like I'm not flitting. I'm just, I'm really, and, and I think it's the mindfulness too, because I know that uh, I am, I am curious, right? That curiosity is such a major element of mindfulness. And I am so curious like when I go out into the woods, for example, I am infinitely curious about the mosses and the lichens and, you know, the tree barks and the petals on the flowers and just all these little details and patterns or the way that the, the branches make patterns um, or even like the way that the clouds are forming and all these different things. Like I don't typically knock on wood get dry spells because I'm just so infinitely curious about so many things. And I forget where this question even started. <laughs> it wasn't even, I don't even know that it was a question. It was more of just a conversation about, you know, is there something that can help other people? You're very successful. You're doing, you're doing things that you love. You're serving people and you're able to do this thing that you really love and it's working for you. But for people who are earlier on in the process, mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm, uh, that, oh, right. that's who I'm trying to answer the question for. Yes. Right. Yeah, right not right. you personally. I got it. Yeah. So I think one of the things that I, that I really, and again, I think that, um, you have to listen, whether it's my advice or anybody else's advice, I really if you're going to take anything from what we're talking about today, <laughs> I want people to take away that it is important to listen to your own inner artist. And if you have like that internal yes, when you listen to that person, listen to that. But if they're like, meh, or like, no, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't matter if it seems like you should listen to that person. Okay. So listen with those ears. I believe because it works for me and it works for a lot of the students who are attracted to me, that the process that you alluded to before of looking at something, examining an idea, doing explorations artistically, where you try something, then you make a small change and a small change, and then you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. And that iteration process is so huge and makes things so infinitely interesting. And it's so easy to then ask yourself, what if, what if I did this? What if I did that? And then there's so much to explore. And with, um, so like I do these weekly slow drawing parties that are free on Facebook live. And then they're on replay on my site for 48 hours. We do these very simple boiled down nature inspired patterns. And that's, and we do them on very small watercolor cards, either in pen and or in ink. And that's the process, right? You take a little time, like this week, we did a, a little pattern called clasp, you know, and I will give all the mindfulness cues as we're drawing, 
But then also it's about, you know, cueing people like, okay, you know, you can start to ask yourself as you explore the pattern, maybe you're on card three or four of a card that's, you know, a few inches by a few inches, you know, what if you say, well, what if I let them overlap? What if I turned the card as I did it? What if I tried a different pen? What if I uh, drew them with my non-dominant hand? What if I um, did them really small? What if I, right? Like you could, and because it's so limited, that limitation, as we all know, then creates all this space for creativity because we're not overwhelmed by all the choices. And I think that's where a lot of newbie, new people get stuck is they get overwhelmed. Well, I'd love to do this and I'd love to do this and I'd love to do this and I'd love to do that. And it's overwhelming. And I love the slow drawing piece because it's also not so important. It's yeah. not the four foot by five foot clean, bright, white canvas <laughs> where you better not mess up because you paid a lot of money right. for that, right? right. It's the sketching, the sketchbooks, the practice, the daily doodling, whatever it is that you do, that's the thing that frees up all the creativity, I think, yes. right? Oh, that gives you the space. And it creates so much space so that, or something else I wanted to show you. Oh, it's hiding behind my computer. All right, so I showed you those other journals before. What I'm working on personally right now is I've been incorporating some of these slow drawing and slow painting patterns still on a smaller scale. And I'm using some of the pieces that I do even in these slow drawing things. So like this. <laughs> oh, so they're cute. so gorgeous. Oh, they're so gorgeous. This your, your work really resonates with me. Oh, thank you. Um, and so you can see where I'm taking similar ideas and just taking them in a just slightly different direction and then a slightly different direction. Mm -hmm. and um and this one I've like collaged a little bit with my own pieces and I love uh playing with the idea all these like pop-ups and stuff like I was showing in the other one except I'm kind of taking it in new directions here I think I saw one of those on Instagram didn't you post one probably or on your website yeah. yeah I love that you're combining so many different things in one you're making the book you are you're you're doing the drawings you're sewing them in, you're doing pop-ups, you're painting, you're, you're just taking all the pieces. Well, and to, to answer your question from before, that's my approach, right? So I don't worry about literally the big picture. I do what feels exciting to me. And there is some, as you're pointing out, combination. I'm doing some slow drawing, some of this. I mean, typically it centers around one thing, kind of. But um, there are places where it then gets easy to pull the pieces together, like in this journal that I'm showing you. But I don't worry about the whole. So like I have journal pages where it's all, we didn't talk too much about color, but like it's all like these kind of smoky painted backgrounds and they're beautiful, but there's nothing on them yet. Or there's a bunch of junk on the page. <laughs> That's it. But I do as a good art therapist would, trust in the process. Like that's a catchphrase. Mm -hmm. And so I know that at some point I'll be needing a page that looks like that as a starting point. And then I might grab some of my slow drawings or, a, you know, a, a portrait that I did or a drawing of my dog or, you know, 
little like fluid art piece or whatever it might be. And then I glue that onto the page and now I'm off and running into a direction. And so little by little things come to a point of completion, but it's because it's open and playful and stage oriented. I don't sit down and say, I'm going to finish this. Right. You know, or I must do this. Like I do go on finishing spurts, like where I have a bunch of things that are open-ended and I'll start just like finishing this and finishing this and finishing this. But that's just part of the rhythm that works for me. I really need to quit my day job. (laughs) It's like, it's, it's percolating in you and you're like, oh man, this feels good. Well, I often talk to my guests and I love what they do and I appreciate what they do and I want their art in my home and I have a lot of their art in my home now, which is wonderful, but I don't, but I don't feel the pull to do what they're doing. I can appreciate (laughs) it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and this is my creative piece and that I'm giving to the world right now and that I'm doing for myself. And someday I will get back to making art myself, but watching you, this is the first time in a little while that I've felt the pull inside my chest mm-hmm. that I have to go back mm. and make some art. So thank you for that. That's beautiful. Do you know, really, that's like, a, that's like such a gift that you tell me and that you pay attention to it for yourself too. I'm that's, I'm making that sound schmaltzy, but I really, I do feel it. And I mean it. <laughs> I can tell, I can tell by the look in your eyes. <laughs> do you think there's a connection between the physicality of creating and how it relates to well-being? That's a kind of a funky question, isn't it? Oh, no, I I love your questions. Can I tell you where this comes from? Sure. Maybe, would that help? I was thinking about, so I I like to know about the physicality of someone's practice. And that can take many forms. It could be my back hurts because I'm all scrunched up doing tiny work. It could be I do yoga afterwards because I need to, or my question to you was more based on, I feel like movement helps well-being. I mean, that's very general, but. Oh yeah. And there's a lot of science to to prove it out. Okay. I probably read it somewhere and I feel it internally. Right. I feel like as the more I move, the better I feel just holistically. So I guess I'm interested in you personally, Mm -hmm. what, what your experience is with the physicality of your Mm -hmm. art practice and how it connects to maybe your mindfulness practice or your well-being. I think I, I understand your question. Um, Yeah, I definitely think it does have an impact. And I think it's both sides, right? There are times where I'm working on such tiny work, whether it's in my paper cutting or in very tiny patterns and things like that, where I find like, oh, I'm really hunched over or in my teaching where I'm working on writing things and I'm at my desk and I'm doing this business where your shoulders are hunched and you have a rounded back, just heinous for your back and your posture. And as someone who is also a runner and an an athlete, like I'm always like, oh yeah, right. Um, But I also think that the other side of the coin is, you know, along with obviously needing to engage your awareness about your body alignment and your health, there's also the piece of 
for example, the pattern that we did yesterday in my workshop with CLASP, it's a very repetitive pattern where you're echoing basically like a C shape or a U shape over and over, say three, four times. And it creates almost like a little, it almost looks like a, a bull ring that goes in the bull's nose or something like that, or a seashell or a crescent roll, something like that. And um, across the board, everyone who commented about the pattern remarked on how relaxing it was. Several people said they felt like they were going to fall asleep. It was so relaxing that the repetitive nature was very soothing. And I think that that's part of what I enjoy in the type of work that I'm doing currently is all that pattern-based work that's very simple and yet not simple. Uh, and repetitive is very soothing. And, I, and that's why I also enjoyed doing the Coptic bookbinding because there's a tactileness, so you're touching materials. And I was, I was reading through my journal today where I was planning out my whole uh, winter spells process. And I had written to myself a few months ago about how, I don't know why I needed to, but I guess I needed to encourage myself or reassure myself about something. But I wrote this something like this process is real and it's true. The touching of the materials and the elementalness of it is healing and grounding. And so that there's something about, especially when you engage that awareness through the senses, that you're in touch with all the materials and with the movement that your body is making. And when you have those repetitive movements, it can be very soothing. Now, of course, it can be detrimental if you're not aware of yourself. Like I have to sometimes lift my eyes up and look away because I'm focusing on very small things. And I have to make sure I'm letting my eyes focus on something else across the room, give them a rest and then return to it. But there's something incredibly soothing and beautiful. And I think it's beautiful to, and I'm departing from your question, sorry, but I think it's beautiful to look at because it reflects those patterns that we see in nature all the time. And so there's a familiarity and a feeling of home and groundedness into it. Oh, no, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. That all resonates with me. Jeez. So with uh, the pattern-based work, one of the things that came from it was I had started a few years ago. I had seen somebody ages ago who worked with something that she was calling inchies. I'm really sorry that I can't remember what her name was, but they're a thing in quilting. And then somebody had started doing like little inchies that were like very character based, like really cool work, very different from what I do. But I was like, Oh, I like that concept. And so I started doing inchies and then I have an inchy challenge every summer. And I started building on this idea and that's where what we're doing with the slow drawing comes from. But I realized if you took any of these patterns that we're talking about and then started to really build it over a series of squares, that you could start to build really interesting pieces. So like talking about that repet, sorry, I have two pieces here, but this is what I'm referring to. So this is with a pattern called rice, where it's very, very tiny, like rice grain looking thing. So there's a close up. Okay. 
But then, you know, I've got, I don't know, thousands of rice here um, that all seem to kind of cluster in a way that reminds me of like when you see under the microscope pictures of bacteria and things mm-hmm. like that, that cluster together. And then at the edges, they kind of are smattered around. Um, and then I've taken some high flow acrylic and kind of, you know, I've got like a darkened edge and then faded it in. But it's just such a you know, going back to the iterations and the what ifs and the building on, like, there's just a billion different ways you could arrange uh, these. And then as you start to put them together, then it influences what else you want to add or try differently. I mean, I could make 15 pieces like this, and they'd all be different and interesting and whatever. And then like, this is another take on the same project using the letter U. It's just that idea of what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I do two U's? What if I do a thick U? What if I do a thin U? What if I do, you know, 10 U's and fiber thick and fiber thin and, you know, and all on these like starburst candy colors. And it's great. The colors are great. Is that there's always time, right? If if you, as you know, if you pre-prep these small surfaces, the small substrates, you absolutely can carry them around with you or have them out and ready and spend a few minutes, right? So you're in the midst of editing your podcast. You've got those moments where you're in between something. You can sit for a few minutes and even if you want, but sometimes I do this, put the timer on my phone so I don't run over. Mm -hmm. And that like gives me permission. Like if I'm seriously like very busy, but I know I need to do art and I can feel it and it's like affecting me, I will do that. And it, to me, it really makes a difference. Are there conversations that you hope to spark in people who view your work? Yes. Yeah. And I want them starting to look more deeply at, at art. It, well, I don't want to tell anyone what to do, <laughs> but it would be great if people got, and I think they often do, like people who seek me out because they want to make art often, especially in this year, have said, like over the last year, I should say, have said, I am pausing much more to look deeply at nature as I'm walking. And even in my neighborhood, I'm noticing patterns and the beauty of lichens. And my kids are laughing at me because (laughs) I'm obsessed with, you know, lichens and mosses and bark. And I'm like, oh, good. (laughs) Because I, I think it also leads to, at least for me, it has led to a deepened commitment to uh, the environment. And I think that's been one of the positives of the pandemic that it gave me personally more time to be like, what? Like those pictures of the ocean are like everywhere. That's not like just one random isolated thing that I was dismissing in my mind. Like I need to stop buying shampoo bottles and this bottle and that bottle. And like, I need to do something concrete. Ah, yes, I do. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there's a real, it's lovely that it just turned out that there's this holistic connection between the art that I've been doing and so interested in. And then I also, it's probably not a mistake that I started tuning more deeply into like what's happening and what more concretely can I be doing myself that is not everything, but it's something and that's important. Yes. Talk about, talk a little bit about your relationship with social media. So, um, 
I think it's like most folks, it's mixed. You know what I mean? There are things I absolutely adore about it. And then as a teacher, there are things that I adore about it and things that are draining about it. Um, and as an artist, I would say the same thing. Like as an artist, Instagram, as everybody who comes on here just about says, it's it's an amazing place. You can connect with artists from all over the world that you would never come, most likely, come across otherwise. And I have connected with some really incredible people that way, yourself included, number one example today. And um, that is just so special. And being able to reach out to other people who that, that I can have an impact on with my art and my teaching my classes. So teaching sounds very grand in a way I really don't mean like, and people I can have an impact on with my classes that feel that exactly like, that, that what I present mirrors in the way that I think you're saying what they feel inside. Right. And it's a beautiful thing that like some people connect with, you know, Tracy Verdugo and some people connect with, uh, Flora Boley and some people connect with, you know, the other one and this one and this one, and some people connect with me, you know, like that's so great that we have the resources to be able to do that with each other. And that means so much to me to have gone from being an art therapist and working directly one-on-one -on -one with people to use art to help them reach their mental health goals. And then, you know, kind of realizing as I started doing this work more and more that I could reach in a different way, a much wider audience from all over the world. Um, and, and that I could help people do what we've been talking about, do make joyful, meaningful art that enriches their life. Like, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm here. <laughs> what else <laughs> like, is there? How good is that? <laughs> you know? Um, so that is incredible. And there's no way I could have done that with that type of audience otherwise. Do I get discouraged sometimes when, you know, like I am, I am not going to be the person who sits here and says, I don't care if I don't like, you know, if I put something up that I really like, yes, I care if people don't like if I don't get the response that I would expect based on the numbers that I have, of course I notice that and feel that. I'm sure there are some people who don't, but I'm not going to pretend that I don't because I I do. But I also understand that there's a, so many different factors that go into like who's seeing your work, and also there are just some things that don't really translate very well to being photographed and posted up on Facebook. And also, it's really interesting. Sometimes I put something up, it's new, I'm completely excited about it. And I'm like, this is so great. And in my head, I'm like, you guys are idiots. This thing is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes later on, I'm like, yep, that thing is really great. And other times I'm like, oh, I know what they were talking about. <laughs> That's not very good. But there's a seed in that idea. And I was right about that. Right. And then that seed germinates months down the road and some other piece that is amazing. Right. So it's also a great there, one thing that is great is like you do get feedback. Right. And some of it, I think, is really on point. Some of it's maybe not on point. So I think that's cool. But as a teacher, it's wonderful to be able to 
see people's work, encourage them. And it's also at times exhausting to continue to show up and encourage them. <laughs> and so I have to constantly manage how much energy I'm putting out to others, because if I'm going to show up and do provide the structure, provide the encouragement, provide the classes, I can't give and give and give and give and give being kind of the online cheerleader every time someone posts something, mm -hmm. even though I would want to, because I want to be encouraging, but I can't, I'm one, I literally am one person. Sometimes people write me and say, Oh, the team. I'm like, hang on what team? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have one person who shows up to do tech support on my live things when I do like a retreat. And I have someone who takes care of my web stuff when there's something that's above my head. That's it. And I have a tax guy, like, you know, other people, right? <laughs> that right. is it. Everything else is me. You have like tech trouble with my site. It's me. You can't figure something out with your art. It's me. Something, you know, you respond, you're getting a response on Facebook, Instagram. It's me. You know, <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> is there something you're aching to change in the world or in yourself? Yes. So my first job, I'm one of these people who's had a few iterations of my career. So my first job was as a human rights activist. You know, I was living in DC and I was doing human rights work around Guatemala. And I ended up switching gears and going to grad school for art therapy because I found that I was very overwhelmed by kind of the large political change. I felt very powerless and I would get very overwhelmed and want to change everything right then and there, you know, in a snap, which is completely not realistic. But in working with a lot of the folks who had survived these terrible experiences and traumas, I felt like, oh, I can have a real impact with people one-on-one. -on -one. And I was doing my own personal work through art and was finding that that was true. And then, so I went to grad school, yada, 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 you know, the rest of that story. And then, um, yeah, but I, what I, so that was, and has been, you know, those, um, human rights issues and social justice issues and racial equity issues have been really important to me for a super long time. But until this past summer, I never, like I had my work and I had my, feelings about all that, but never did the two mix. And over the summer, when things hit such a boiling point, honestly, also just with our awareness, but certainly with so much death and killing in the Black community, particularly, it just was at such a fever pitch that I couldn't not. I felt that I had a big enough platform that to not speak about it was to be part of the problem. And I started doing some more training again about racial equity. I actually did a wonderful class called Whiteness at Work um, with the Attaway group, which was fabulous. Anyway, yeah, so that's, that's something that I am very concerned about and very much, I just think there's hardly, there's so few things that are as important as us understanding the way that white structure got built up in our country and the way that uh, so many people, myself included, are a part of 
a system that is oppressive to so many people who are not with white skin. And, you know, there's many factors that go into privilege, of course, but skin color is a really um, unique point of discrimination. And like, I'm reading a book by, um, I think it's Isabel Wilkerson called Cast right now. That's wonderful. Anyway, I'm just trying to do as much as I can to continue to educate myself. And then what I've learned through my learning over the summer specifically is, you know, something else I can do is just to obviously welcome everyone and also, you know, make very clear what my policies are in my work, but then also just share resources. And so I've tried to, it's felt really good to be able to have um, something I can do that's active besides just in my own personal life, obviously trying to talk to lots of friends and, you know, do my part. Thank you for sharing all of that. It's hard, important work, you know, and it doesn't compare at all. When I say it's hard, there's no, (laughs) it's like a ridiculous, like it's not at all in meant as a comparison. There's no comparison Mm -hmm. to what, you know, folks who don't have white skin like me have to work through every day. So that's not what I mean. I just, I, I think I'm just saying like, it's so important that we all are engaged in that process. If we want something to change, it's which I hope we all do. Yes, absolutely. What does success look like for you? I think three things, making a difference with other people in some way, whether that's like, and I mean, I think in my work, it's basically with their art and that they're engaged and having those, you know, joyful feelings that we were talking about. Um, making a good living at it. You know, I don't need to be like in my private jet or anything, but I need to be not worrying and comfortable. And the third prong just flew out of my head. Oh, obviously enjoying my own art process. (laughs) Great. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Are you ready for your rapid fire questions? Sure. If you could sit down with another artist or creative person and have a conversation like this one, who would you ask and what would you talk about? Two-prong answer. I had a hard time thinking about this. You're not alone. Yeah. So two-prong answer. I would say um, the first prong that truly answers your question, I think I would invite Sark. She's a writer. Yeah. And she's a part of a something that I do called the gathering of the creatives. And I had said to them, like, you need Sark. Cause they had Julia Cameron, who's like incredible. And I was like, you need Sark. Sark is amazing anyway. And so of course they got her to come and now, but not that I've met her or anything, you know, we kind of, it's all online. So it's all very separate, but I would love to sit down with her because she and Julia Cameron were very instrumental in that time when I was an activist trying to figure out where my life was going. And I wanted to make change in a different way with people. You know, and I would just want to, I think I would just want to share with her about that and the impact that she had on me. And I would also just love to chit chat, you know what I mean? And just, um, I don't know, maybe talk like we're talking and hear about her, where she was at in that moment in her creative process and, you know, just kind of artist to artist. But my second prong to that answer is I, there's a bunch of people I have connected to or just admired 
on Instagram who I would love to sit down with or um, create with or get together like in some sort of a, I don't know, like a conference or something or like a creative weekend, like that would just be, you know, and maybe like collaborate, like that would be so, so cool. Plus we're all starving for that right now, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Okay. Describe a favorite outdoor spot. I told you I'm not good at favorites, but um, (laughs) one would be the, the walking place that I go to every week and it's wooded and beautiful and not at all like grand or anything, but it's, it's totally satisfying and it's beautiful to watch the landscape change. And the second would be, we go up to um, Mount Desert Island, Maine and Acadia every single year to camp in the summertime. And we camp, um, we have a, a waterfront campsite every year. And that's like stunning. Last year I saw, um, I've been doing so much nature reading. I learned about fog bows. It's like a rainbow, but it's with fog. And I, and because I had read about it, I saw it and I'm sure I've seen it before, but I never saw it before because I didn't know about it and I didn't pay attention. (laughs) Speaking of paying attention. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm going to have to look that up. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Number three, what's your comfort food? Ice cream. (laughs) Yum. Ice cream and anything that reminds me of ice cream. So Greek yogurt. (laughs) (laughs) What three words best describe your creative practice? Oi. Um, layered. Nature-based. And I guess detail. Yeah. Own it. Just own it. <laughs> layered, nature-based, and detailed. <laughs> Beautiful. Excellent. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to do this, coming on the podcast, sharing everything that you shared. So thank you very much. Thank you, Margaret. I can't tell you how much this has been just total pleasure. So thank you for the honor. Oh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, tuning into the body is such a wonderful way of arriving in the moment And art is a tremendous opportunity to arrive in the moment using our senses. Number two, the more you focus on the process, the more the product improves. And the more you get into that richness of your own work, you'll judge yourself less and have more fun. Number three, allow yourself time to indulge your curiosities. And number four, pause and look deeply at nature as you're walking. All right. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, acknowledge the mess and keep going. Have a great week.